Our reading this morning comes from Mark 16. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very, very early on, the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll, roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. This is the Lord, word of the Lord. God. Well, remain standing, if you will, because I'm going to read another passage over us uh, before you have a seat. We're going to be in the book of Titus for our message this morning. So this is Titus chapter 2. If you want to turn to Titus in your Bible, it's toward the end of the New Testament. We're going to be in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. And this is the Apostle Paul writing to his beloved Titus, his co-laborer in the Word. And it says this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And as you go to your seat, let us pray. Father, thank you for today. Our hearts rejoice in the resurrection. We are thankful that the tomb is empty. The stone had already been rolled away. Jesus was not there but he has risen and he is alive forever. And those of us who are found in him, as Chris said, will never die, but will live forever with you. You have given us life. And you have given us life to live in the present age as we wait for the blessed return of our good Savior. I pray you'd be with us this morning as we hear from your good word, your living and active word. May it transform our hearts. May it show us more of Jesus Christ. And may we leave here today loving Jesus all the more. Spirit, we know this is the work that you are pleased to do in our hearts, and so we, we ask that you would come and do this work, and we love you. Father, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may have a seat. You look great today. Love it. Yeah. Uh, a few weeks ago, my uh, boys and I were watching a video on YouTube that, might stop there. You're already judging me that we're watching YouTube. Uh, we watch uh, some fun things on YouTube. This one was interesting. It was uh, a man uh, named Amar. He's in his 20s. And uh, the whole point of the video was that Amar uh, was asked to take, and then he actually willingly wanted to take what's called a darkness retreat. Now, how many of you have signed up for a darkness retreat? Uh, it's probably not my first choice. Uh, doesn't sound like a great vacation or a great way to spend five days, but that's exactly what he did. He went on a darkness retreat. And it was this little cabin in the woods somewhere. 
that he went into for five days, no light, complete darkness. Uh, they, they would put food in a little cubby for him every day, uh, but he had no interaction with another human. Uh, so no phone, no, no flashlight, no reading, no scrolling. Uh, his, his five days in, in this cabin were chronicled by an infrared camera, several infrared cameras actually, so you could see uh, him, uh, what he was doing, you could hear him, what he was saying or thinking, but he was removed from all the distractions and screens of normal life. So on one hand, uh, it was refreshing for him that he did not have the worldly distractions in this five-day cabin experience in a darkness retreat. But he was left alone to his mind, completely alone. During his retreat into darkness, Amar did not know what time it was at any point. If you were here last week, you remember that Pastor Chris asked this question, what time is it? And the only way that we know what time it actually is is through wisdom, is through the revealing wisdom of someone from outside us. So as you see, Amar didn't know what time it was. In the total darkness, he needed someone outside of himself to tell him what time it is. And so as you're watching this video and you're seeing him struggle through five days in the darkness, when he finally emerges from this darkness retreat and steps into the light, the light appears, and only then does he get his bearings. The light appeared we see that word in the text I just read out of Titus chapter 2. Uh, appear, appears two times in this text. You see the first one there in verse 11 where it says, for the grace of God has appeared. And then you see in verse 13 that the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ will appear in a day that's coming. In fact, uh, what I want to think about with you this morning is that this word appear is actually how we get our word epiphany. So if you read this word in the Greek, it's where we get our word epiphany. And maybe you've used that word before. When you think of an epiphany, when, you've, when you say you've had an epiphany, uh, it's usually uh, something that was once disclosed but now has been suddenly revealed to you. Traditionally, something that was previously concealed is made visible. That's what we can traditionally think of what an epiphany is. In classic literature, the epiphany was most often described or represented by a morning sun breaking through at dawn. In fact, we have our graphic here that Jordan Winkler made for our Easter Sunday. It's exactly that. It's a morning sun breaking through dawn. It's an epiphany. So in Titus 2, we have two epiphanies, if you will. We have the two appearances of Jesus, one that has happened and then the one that will happen. Now, I hope you'll forgive me that I'm preaching from a text this morning that is most traditionally preached at Christmas time. This is actually a Christmas time text because most often that first appearance in chapter 11 is associated with Jesus' birth, his incarnation. But today, if you will allow me, I want to consider this text through the lens of the resurrection. I want to consider the epiphany of Jesus, the breaking through of light in the person of Jesus Christ as he appeared after Good Friday and Silent Saturday, the breaking of the dawn. Our Savior appeared 
after being concealed for three days. And so it was that the resurrected Christ appeared. First, as we heard Stephanie read to Mary Magdalene and then Mary, mother of James and Joseph. Later, we we will read that he appeared to Peter and the the disciples. And then uh, Paul says he appeared to some 500 eyewitnesses. The resurrected Jesus appeared to many. Jesus has risen from the dead, just like he said he would. He's defeated that last enemy, death. And we have victory and life in him. And so, in Titus 2, 11 through 14, this is the grace of God that has appeared. The grace of God in the person of Jesus Christ has appeared. And then we know that he will appear again on that glorious day as we wait for him. So the two epiphanies of Jesus Christ, the one who is the embodiment of grace and glory. Jesus is grace. Jesus is glorious. If you are new to church, I know there are several new faces that I'm looking at right now. I know several of you, and I'm assuming that a lot of the new faces are friends or family of our family here at City Church. First of all, welcome. So grateful that you are choosing to worship the Lord and that God has brought you here to worship together with us. I'm going to guess that you know enough about Easter that you're not going to be surprised that we have already and will continue to talk about the resurrection. But maybe you're asking yourself, that's to be expected. It is Easter. We should be talking about the resurrection. Jesus uh, lived. Jesus died. Jesus has risen. And and now we're reading and, and thinking about the fact that he is coming back again. But you might be asking the question this morning, so what? We could celebrate that this morning We've put on our Easter best. More than likely, we've uh, celebrated in some form or fashion or we're going to today over lunch or Easter egg hunts. What does it mean, though? We celebrate this day every year, but what does it mean for us as we leave here this morning and go throughout the rest of the week? So you might, might ask that question, so what? It's actually a good question. It's a question we should ask every Sunday as we open God's word, as we learn from Jesus about who he is and what he has done for us. We should be asking, so what does this mean for me? And as we read this particular text in Titus chapter 2, we should be able to answer that question in a very particular way. Here's what I know about you. And the reason I know this about you is because I know myself. You want to change. You want to change. There's no one in the room right now that doesn't want to change in some form or fashion to whatever degree. Some of you are desiring to change in big leaps and bounds, and some of you might say this morning, I'm really okay with my life. I just want to tweak it just a little bit, but all of us want to change. We all want to be healthier, We want to be wiser, we want to be smarter, we want to be more generous with our time and money, we want to change. The world certainly knows this about us, Uh, TV news producers know this about you, that's why if you watch news long enough, you're going to see the same stories over and over again, how to get more sleep, how to be more organized, how to be more productive, etc. There's nothing new under the sun, we all want to change for the better. 
More importantly, God desires for us to change. God wants us to change. And I think our text today shows us that the grace of God that appeared in the resurrected Christ and the glory of God that will appear one day soon, these two epiphanies, these two breaking throughs, change us. The two epiphanies of Jesus Christ allow us to truly live changed lives. For the Christian For you and me who believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, we are able to live godly lives in the present age. That's what Paul says there in verse 12, that today we are able to live in a way that pleases him as we wait for his blessed return. As we wait for that second epiphany, that breaking through of Jesus in the clouds, glorious Lasting change is possible because of these two epiphanies. And so the rest of our time today, what I want to do is take a look at these two appearances of Jesus Christ, these two epiphanies that we find in this passage. And so if you're taking notes, uh, we provided a handout uh, for you as you made your way in. There's a place for you to take notes on that sheet of paper. Here's the main idea today. Today's epiphany transforms us now as we wait for the epiphany to come. Today's epiphany The reason that we're celebrating today, the epiphany of Jesus Christ resurrected, changes us today. It transforms us now as we wait for the epiphany to come. So let's let's dig in. Let's look at this epiphany, this dawn-breaking sunshine of the grace of God, Jesus himself. So I want to suggest that the epiphany of the grace of God does four things. It does four things. You see them uh, blanks there on your handout. Here are the four things. The appearing of God's grace rescues, regulates, redeems, and reclaims. Four R's. Rescues, regulates, redeems, and reclaims. First, the appearing of the grace of God rescues. Verse 11, the grace of God appeared, bringing salvation, bringing rescue for all people. Now, just to clarify, uh, some have read this and and interpreted it in a way that the author does not intend. Paul is not saying that all are going to be saved, although God desires all to be saved. We know that not all will be saved, but salvation has been made available for all people in Jesus Christ without discrimination. He has come to bring salvation for all people. The appearing of the grace of God in the person of Jesus Christ rescues people out of darkness and sin. Our greatest need since Genesis 3 has been for a Savior. Whoever Jesus is to you, Whoever Jesus is to you as you contemplate him this morning, your greatest need is for Jesus Christ to be Savior in your life. Here is the free offer of Christ, the gospel of our salvation. In fact, later on in Titus chapter 3, listen how Paul describes this gospel, this good news that 
Christ has come. He has appeared and he has brought rescue. He has brought salvation. This is Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. It says this, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, there it is again, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. God the Father, before time itself, planned for this salvation. He planned the salvation to send the Son. The Son, God the Son, achieved our salvation on the cross. And then God the Holy Spirit applies this salvation to our lives. Our good Trinitarian God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, working to bring us rescue, to rescue us out of darkness. We are simultaneously justified in Christ. His righteousness applied to us. Our sinfulness applied to him. We are simultaneously justified and adopted. We are adopted in Christ. We become heirs. We are sons and daughters of God. The epiphany of Jesus Christ on Easter Sunday makes all of this real. This has been fulfilled. Jesus has risen. The risen Christ has brought salvation for all people. It is done. This is the best news. This is how much you and I are loved this morning. He did it. He did it. He did what we not only could never do, he did what we never wanted to do. He did what we could never accomplish. Not only did we not do it, we never would have wanted to do it, but he did it. Family, is that not good news this morning? He has rescued us. He did it, not us. He brings salvation to us by faith. Not by works, not by anything in us. God has not looked upon any of us and saw something that was better in one than another and decided that's the basis in which I'm going to choose you. You don't achieve salvation. There are no self-made men in the kingdom of God. There is no pull yourself up by the bootstraps Christianity. If you have thought to yourself this morning, God will save me because I'm at church on Easter Respectfully, you are telling yourself the wrong story. God does not look at your church attendance, whether it's once a year, twice a year, or 52, day, 52 weeks a year. He does not look at your church attendance and reward you with eternal life. That's earning. It's not grace. Because it's the grace of God that has appeared. It's the grace of God, the breaking through of the grace of God that has done this. One author I've been reading puts it this way. He says, the superabundant grace, not just abundant grace, which would be good enough, the superabundant grace of God is gratuitous. It's a big word, gratuitous. Gratuitous means unnecessary. 
gratuitous is wholly unnecessary. But that's the grace of God. He did not need to do this. He didn't need anything in himself to create us or save us. Everything from our being created to our being saved was not necessary. Do you understand that this morning? Does that humble you? God did not need to fulfill something lacking in him, but he is love. He loves us. He loves to give, and he gives life, and he gives love, and he gives meaning, and he gives joy. And so what that means, brothers and sisters, is that we live a gratuitous existence. This is a gratuitous life. We live, we live a life that all we, all we have is empty hands. We are receivers of this gratuity from God. And so the only thing left to say is thank you. The grace of God has appeared and has rescued us. And next we see that this appearing, this epiphany of Jesus regulates us. What in the world do I mean by that? Look at verse 12. It says, for the grace of God has appeared, verse 12, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Pastor Alistair Begg calls this the school of grace. I love that. The school of grace. In fact, this word trains or trained is the, the same word for disciple or tutor or educate. I don't know if you've ever thought of grace like this. Have you ever thought of grace being a teacher? A grace that is allowing us to say no to certain desires and yes to uprightness and godliness. Now, what does that verse mean for us? One thing it means is that there are such things as wrong and bad desires. There are such things as desires that we are to say no to. And the Bible gives us many examples of what such desires could be. Sexual immorality, fits of anger, drunkenness, coveting, envy, divisions. I don't know about you, but I see that play out all the time in our world. I see that play out in my own heart so often as well. If we've been given everything by grace, if we've been given everything for life and godliness, then renouncing sinful desires is possible. At the bare minimum, that's what this verse is saying, that saying no, renouncing ungodliness is possible. Even when those desires resist your renouncing of them. And let me tell you, they will. Those evil desires will resist the renouncing of them. But not only is the renouncing of sinful desires possible, it's joyful. It's joyful. Who is your favorite teacher in school? As you think back. Kids, maybe you're thinking right now as you're in school, who is your favorite teacher? Some of you, that's mom and dad. Praise be to God. As I uh, think back in my school, in high school, my most difficult class uh, was AP U.S. government. Uh, as, and I took that when I was a senior in high school, and everyone talked about uh, Tom Strother, Dr. Strother, 
was the hardest teacher in the entire high school. But as I completed that challenging class, he was the best teacher I ever had. He was the greatest teacher I ever had. Yes, it was incredibly difficult content, and yes, it was challenging to write all those papers and to learn about all the different facets of government. It was hard, but Dr. Strother was my favorite teacher. We are trained by the best teacher. And this text tells us that the best teacher is grace. Grace is a teacher, and the face of grace is Jesus Christ. He's the best teacher. He's training us. He's training us for life today. And it's not a drudgery, family. It's not a drudgery. It is a joy to please God. Jesus was the happiest human being to ever walk the face of the earth while being the most tempted human being ever to live. He was the happiest and the most tempted all at the same time. Jesus loved saying no to ungodliness and yes to his father. He loved it. The good life is the self-controlled life. It's what we read too. The good life is a self-controlled life. We don't say anything and everything we feel like we need to say. We don't do whatever we feel like doing. Well, but Jeff, everyone should get to decide what's the good life for them. Everyone has their own version of the good life. So even, even if my good life is not exactly like your good life, if it's not hurting anybody, what's, what's the big deal? I can decide what my good life is, can I? Friends, it's this obsession with autonomy that is killing people all around us. And that's what sin does. That's what sin does. It's deceptive. It's subversive, it's sneaky, it's crafty, it's shrewd. Do you know what is the most prophetic proverb of our day? I really be believe this. A proverb hit me many years ago, and I think as we look around us and we consider the world that we're living in right now, I believe the most prophetic proverb of the day is Proverbs 14.12 and 16.25. It shows up twice. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, its way is death. Does that not paint a picture of the world that we live in today? There's a way that seems right to me, and this sure feels right. I think this is the way to life. And the Bible says, in the end, it leads to death. I want to encourage us with the word of God this morning, if we have come in to Easter Sunday services. Maybe this is you. We say this every week. We come in in different uh, places in life. Some of us have had really high highs this week. Some of us have had low lows. Some of us maybe have just been mutter muttering around in the middle, wherever and however you have come in here. Maybe there is guilt over ongoing sin. Maybe there's despair over habitual sin that seems to not go away. Maybe you've even drifted toward this camp that says God does not care about the way that you live. Maybe that describes not you, but maybe that describes someone in your life. Maybe your heart is broken this morning because you hear these words and you think of someone else. 
someone who's trapped by their own sin and the lies of the world. Friends, let me ask you this. Do you believe that the same power that brought a dead man back to life cannot also train you over your lifetime to say no to ungodliness and yes to Christ? Do you believe that this morning? Don't believe the lies that strip God of his transforming power. So on Easter Sunday, I'm asking you to consider that the same spirit that brought Jesus out of the grave resides in you today, in the present age. If you are his, if you are united to Jesus Christ, you have the same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave. That's good news. Tell me what's impossible with that. If that wasn't good enough, the news keeps getting better. Look at verse 14. Skip 13 for now. Go down to verse 14. Today's epiphany of grace rescues, regulates, and redeems us. Verse 14, Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness. Chris talked about this as we prayed through portions of Romans 6. We are redeemed from slavery to sin. That's what this means. Paul in this passage is using language from the Passover and Exodus. We've been in the book of Joshua over the past several weeks, and so we've referred back over and over, ago, over, and over again to the Passover and Exodus. Jesus was our Passover lamb. He removed the curse of the law from us by being that curse. And now, having defeated death, he lives, and we live in him as freed slaves. I'm looking at a room of freed slaves. We are friends with our king. And what this means, family, is that we are not prisoners. We're not prisoners of our past. We're not prisoners of our abusive families. We are not prisoners of past failed churches. We're not prisoners of our own decadent culture. We're not prisoners of our own flesh. There is no determinism in the kingdom of God. Whatever you've experienced in your life, whatever you were born into, whatever you struggle with, that does not determine the course of your life, amen? amen. Christ was not a slave to the tomb. The tomb is empty. The stone was rolled away. The grace of God has appeared and we are free. We're free. We're free to ask for forgiveness when we have sinned. There's freedom. We're free to abide in Christ for nourishment. That's the invitation this morning is to walk in that beautiful freedom that Jesus Christ resurrected has given all of us. You see Amar in the, in the cabin in the woods in his darkness retreat. He was a slave to the darkness. He couldn't see anything. He was only left to his own mind. He was left helpless. And actually watching this video with my family was a very powerful picture of what life apart from God is like. It was very instructive for us. Until the breaking through of light, until the epiphany of the grace of God, we are all groping around in utter darkness. 
We are in the dark. We hear voices. We hear voices that say, just look inside yourself to find meaning. All you need is you. Just unlock what's inside. But we're still lost. We need help. We need something or someone outside of us to shine light into the dark spaces. We need someone or something outside of us to shine light into the dark room. We don't need just anyone. We need God incarnate. We need Jesus Christ. We need him to pull us out of the darkness. We need to grab a hold of those nail-pierced wrists and have him drag us into the light. The sun has risen. You are no longer a slave. You have been redeemed. I don't know about you, but I needed to hear this this morning. I need to hear this every day. The resurrected Christ means that there is powerful hope for the addict. There's powerful hope for the backslider. For all of us, there's hope. There's a way out of darkness that the risen Christ is giving you today. He has done that. One more R. The fourth R is that the epiphany of the appearing of the grace of God reclaims us. Look at the end of verse 14. Who gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Jesus reclaims us for himself. For us to be excited, that's what that word zealous means. We need to be excited about doing good works. Again, good works do not earn us salvation, but good works is a response to the grace of God. And good works are empowered by God. He has reclaimed us. We are a people of his own possession. This is the language from the Exodus and even uh, later on in Deuteronomy 7 when God is addressing Israel, he says that they are a treasured possession, but it's not because of anything in them. It's nothing impressive about them. There's nothing impressive about their character or their number. It's because he loves them. He possesses you because he loves you. He loves you. Church, the Lord loves you. You belong to him a bride and her groom. This is who he is. This is who he is to us and for us. And the empty tomb and the angel proclaiming, he is risen, he is not here. All of that is proof of his love. It's proof. Now, as we close, remember I said there's two epiphanies in this passage and so we've spent most of our time talking about the epiphany, the appearing of the grace of God, which has already happened. And this morning we're celebrating that epiphany being the resurrected Christ. But there's another epiphany, and this one's in the future. Look at verse 13. We are waiting for our blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. What a great epiphany that will be, won't it, family? We live in the anticipation of Christ's return. The first epiphany, 
It rescues, it regulates, it redeems, and it reclaims us for Christ. It helps us and allows us and trains us to live in the present age a godly life, a life that's pleasing to him while we wait for our blessed hope. You see, the resurrection, Chris said this a minute ago, the resurrection is just not a historical event. It is a historical event. Jesus physically died, physically was risen from the grave. It's not just a historical event. It's eternal. It's eternal. Listen to what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 17 through 19. This is a perfect Easter text. It says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who also have fallen asleep in Christ have perished If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Praise be to God that we have hope in his appearing again. A blessed hope. A happy, eager, anticipatory hope that he is coming again. Several years ago, my family and I got to witness something that I know is going to stay with uh, Molly and me forever. Uh, it was 2014 when we happened to come into relationship uh, with a pregnant Sunnis woman. Uh, she was pregnant. She had two other kids at the time. And we had befriended her and uh, been in her home several times and had made a great relationship with her. Now, they had just moved here. They have just become refugees from the Sudan after fleeing the horrible civil war that was ongoing there. Many of you are familiar with what was happening, especially at that time in the Sudan. And Alik is her name, and she saw terrible things. We heard stories of terrible things that she and her family were coming out of as they became refugees here in America. Now, Alik was married to Dion. But in the chaos of leaving the Sudan, Dion was separated from his family. He was separated from his pregnant wife and his two children. And so he was in a refugee camp in another part of Africa when Alik comes to America as a refugee. And so we befriended her. Some other friends and and us continued to minister to her. And so for two years, we did that. And for two years, Molly and another friend worked with the State Department to try to bring Dion over to America. For two years, we prayed. We asked the Lord to show favor, to allow Dion to be reunited with his family in America. We cried, we prayed. We worked our way through the red tape immigration system of the State Department, if you can only imagine what that was like. But then in 2016, two years later, we got word that Dion was coming to America. And so in November of 2016, we, along with the leak, and now her three children, and dozens of others, drove to DFW Airport. We drove to, it was late at night, we drove to DFW Airport, we hung out in Terminal D, and we waited for Dion to emerge from his flight. So everybody was, was on their tiptoes, looking through the glass into the hallway where we knew we would see Dion for the first time. We knew that soon he would appear there. No one took their eyes away from that hallway. And then he appeared. And Dion 
walked through the doors of Terminal D at DFW Airport and he hugged his two kids and he met his youngest son for the first time and he fell into the arms of his bride. They were in the middle of Terminal D. This was a picture of hope fulfilled. Of hope fulfilled. By the way, the name of that third child, hope. And so, family, may it be like that for us a billion times over. May it be just like that for us, although a billion times over when our Savior appears for the second time and takes us into glory with him. You see, there's no such thing as a saint that lives indifferently to the second coming of Jesus Christ. May we be a people that also are on our tiptoes waiting for Jesus to return, expecting him at any moment. May that be a picture of how we live our lives. May it be a picture of Mary Magdalene rising before the sun and heading to the tomb to try to find Jesus. May that be us as we wait for our blessed hope. These these two, uh, or these verses in Titus 2 uh, can summarize, can be summarized uh, in, in many different ways, but one way I thought this week that we could just summarize these four verses in Titus chapter 2 is from the line of that great hymn, strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Strength for today The grace of God has appeared. Jesus is risen. The tomb is empty. Strength for today to change more and more into the image of Jesus Christ and bright hope for tomorrow because he is coming again. Today's epiphany transforms us now while we wait for tomorrow's return of Jesus Christ. The resurrected Jesus has changed everything. Let us pray. Father, we are so grateful. So thankful that this is reality. We're thankful for the empty tomb this morning. We're thankful that he was not there. We're thankful that he has risen just like he said he would. The grace of God to save sinners like me has appeared. And it changes us. So I pray that we would uh, be reminded of the grace and its power working through our lives to be able to live in uprightness and godliness today, to live self-controlled lives in the present age while we wait for our blessed hope, the second epiphany of Jesus Christ breaking through the clouds to bring us back into glory. And we so anxiously await that day. Father, I thank you for my friends. Thank you for my brothers and sisters. May you nourish them with your word. Spirit, will you encourage them as they love Christ all the more? If any do not know you, Jesus, Spirit, I pray that you would do the work to open their hearts to receive truth. We know this is what you're pleased to do. You're pleased to take that which is dead and bring it into life. We love you, and it's in Christ we pray. Amen.